how many of you guys had New Year's resolutions? Yeah? Not too many? I mean, no big deal, right? Earth just, what, went half a billion miles around a burning ball of gas. No big deal. Yeah? <laughs> so, how many of you failed? Not yet. Lasted like a week, maybe. Two weeks, three weeks, maybe a month. Most people fail their New Year's resolutions, right? Right? Yeah. Um, Have you ever tried to take up a new hobby? Yeah? Let's see. What's a a hobby, Nisa? Writing. Writing. She's stuck with that. Yeah. She's all about that writing. Uh, Let's see. How many of you stuck with your hobby for more than a year? Yeah? How many of you failed to stick with a new hobby for more than a year? Quite a few, yeah? How about new habits? Yeah? Uh, You know, I want to make sure that I make my bed every morning. New habit, right? (laughs) How many of you make your bed every morning? Show me. You're You're all liars. All of you are liars. You do not. You do not. I think we went through like a three-day phase where we were like, yeah, this is real. Making our bed. Yeah. And no. 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 Uh, so, yeah, most of the time when we, when we have these resolutions, when we have these new hobbies or new, new habits, things that we're trying to get to stick, something new that we're trying to add to our life, it usually doesn't work, right? We, we end up falling back into routine, the routine that, that we're comfortable with, that we kind of naturally came to, right? Uh, there is a guy, his name's Johan Hari. Ever heard of Johan Hari? Cool. He wrote a book called Chasing the Scream, uh, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs. Does that sound familiar? No? Johan Hari, he also had a video on TED, TED Talks. And in this video, he said, everything that you think you know about addiction is wrong. Right? I mean, we we feel like we understand how addiction works, right? I mean, let's say, you know, all you guys over here, you know, for 20 days, three days a week, going to shoot up heroin, three days a week, or three three times a day, 20 20, 20 weeks. Right, 20 days, I mean. You know, at the end of that 20 days, what's going to happen to you? Or be severely addicted, right? I mean, that's how addiction works. Duh. The thing is, is we think this way. That's what Johann Hari is talking about. We think this way because of some experiments that were done on some rats back in the early 20th century, where this fellow, this scientist, he took some rats and put them into cages. You know, these cages are pretty small, lab rats, of course, uh, with two water bottles, all right? One with pure water, one with water that was laced with either heroin or cocaine. And guess what? Every single time, the mice would go compulsively to the cocaine or heroin water and overdose and eventually kill themselves every single time. Bam! Addiction. That's how it works. Right? Makes sense. Uh, There's something wrong with that, though. Right? Heroin. 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 Stuff you get on the street. Uh, 
Here in the U.S., we have something called morphine. You familiar with morphine? Maybe, maybe you had some morphine when you were in the hospital or, or grandma had some getting a hip replacement or something like that. Now, morphine and heroin are not exactly the same thing. Chemically and, and functionally, they are identical, right? Uh, uh, heroin, also known as diamorphine, has two acetyl molecules on it that enable it to get into your brain more quickly. So it's more potent, but ultimately it has the same function, the same effect, all right? In the UK, however, here in the US, diamorphine is illegal, period. In the UK, however, diamorphine is used in just loads. You know, if you go to the hospital, if you go outside and get hit by a car, you're going to get loads of diamorphine if you're in a, in a hospital in the UK. Diamorphine is heroin, right? Diamorphine is heroin, except this. It's actually better. because it's, 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 it's more pure than the stuff you're going to get on the street. It's a whole lot more powerful stuff. But did your grandma, when she came out of the hospital, was she a junkie? Why? I mean, that should tell us that there's something about addiction that maybe we don't understand yet, right? And this is what Johann Hari talks about in his book. Really fascinating. Uh, at the end, however, sorry, uh, sometime later, like I think it was in the 70s, there was a guy named Bruce Alexander that performed another experiment. He looked at that rat experiment and he said, you know, there's something wrong with this. Of course the rats just went to the heroin every time. What the heck else were they going to do? You know? So he set up this place. It's huge. 20 times the floor space. Uh, lots of rats. Lots of playthings, balls. Plenty of room for them to run around, have all the sex they want. You know, all the fun things that make rats happy. And they... Uh, they did the same thing with the water, right? Water and, and heroin water. None of the rats compulsively went to the heroin water. None of the rats overdosed. None of the rats died. That's fascinating, right? He called this experiment Rat Park. If you've ever heard Rat Park, that's what that's from. You know, we have a kind of a human experiment of this as well. Uh, Johan Hari refers to this as well in his book, uh, Vietnam War Soldiers and Veterans. You know, in the, in the Vietnam War, you know, you've got these men that are thrown into a harsh jungle in a foreign land that, they're, that they don't want to be at. They're forced to kill or die at a moment's notice. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun, right? As many as 20% of Vietnam soldiers were using heroin while they were in Vietnam. 20%. Understandably so, given their circumstances. But also understandably so, folks back home here in the U.S., they're freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, we're going to have these junkies just walking our streets when these guys get back from the war. What are we going to do about this? And so they did this study where they followed these soldiers back home. And what they found was something pretty remarkable. Uh, the vast majority of them didn't go to rehab. The vast majority of them didn't even suffer withdrawals. 95% of them actually just stopped when they got home. 
when they were reintroduced to Rat Park, or their version of it, it went away with no side effects. And that just, that blows my mind, you know? We think about this stuff so wrong, evidently. There's so much more to it. So anyway, at the end of this, this book, at the end of this talk that Johann Hari gives, he concludes with this statement, and it just, yes. He says, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. I mean, can we amen that or what? Yeah? The opposite of addiction is connection. Addictions are a substitute for genuine human connection. <laughs> that makes sense? Sorry, I'm sniffing. Back in 2000, there was a book called uh, A General Theory of Love, published by three psychiatrists. And in this book, they make the claim, based on their research, that humans require social connection for optimal development of the brain. Humans require social connection for optimal development of the brain. Babies that were cared for in a loving environment are psychologically and neurologically, get this, immunized by love. When I first read that, I was just like, Bah! Immunized by love. I mean, love covers a multitude of sins came to mind. But it's like, I just said, my God, is there any reason that God's prescription for a broken humanity and a broken world, he's been saying it from the beginning, right, is what? Love. And here we've got these psychiatrists and neuroscientists who are just like, hey, guys, check this out. Love, it, it fixes everything. Yeah, we know. You know? Super cool. You know, when things get difficult in adult life, uh, the neural wiring that's developed in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a person that was in a love-filled childhood uh, leads to emotional resilience in an adult life. Uh, those who grew up in an environment where loving care is unstable or absent are less likely to be resilient whenever crap hits the fan, so to speak. Genuine human connection is what God designed us to experience. Pastor Devin sometimes talks about how, I mean, look at us. You know, it's, God made us with all of these senses and abilities to, to experience our reality. One of those things that he made us to do was experience each other. I mean, you ever think about when you kiss your significant other, what is it about touching lips that's such a weird freaking thing? Why does that make you go, yeah? <laughs> why, why, when our lips of all things touch, you know? Why do we touch hands? Why do we hug? That human connection, it's a part of who we are. So back to the questions about New Year's resolutions and habits and stuff. I've got this sneaky suspicion that this connection thing goes way beyond just addictions, okay? Uh, you know, your New Year's resolutions, your, your habits, your hobbies. Uh, you know, I, I often refer to myself as a serial hobbyist. Yeah? Serial hobby. What does that mean? It means I get a hobby, I do, 
and then I get really bored and I go on to the next thing, right? <laughs> I have had so many hobbies. I mean, just to, to name a few of them, when I was young, I was golfing, then I was fishing. All the time I was fishing. Then I got into powerlifting, and I got really strong. I don't look at it anymore, but I did. When I was a junior in high school, I watched a movie come on the Disney Channel one night, Searching for Bobby Fischer. You ever seen that chess movie? And I was like, I'm going to play chess. So I got a book, and I read it, playing chess. I go to Mr. Valentine at the high school and say, hey, I want a chess club. He's like, all right, get a sponsor and get 20 names. You got it. Came back the next day. Here you go. Chess club started at Alma High School. Yours truly. <laughs> First year, we were all right. Second year, we got third in state. That's kind of like how I was. It's everything I can. I can learn, I can learn, I can learn, I can learn. And then it's, I'm bored. <laughs> you know? Okay, what's next? Uh, chess. There for a while, uh, my senior year of high school, you know what I got into doing of all things? Solving Rubik's Cubes really fast. I got to where I could solve a Rubik's Cube in 42 seconds. It's pretty impressive. PD over here, he's, he's at 43. He won't, he won't admit it, though. 42 seconds. And then I kind of got bored with that, too. Every once in a while, I keep one at my house all the time. Every once in a while, I'll get bored, and I'll go, all right, let's do it. You know, it takes me like two minutes, but still. I was fast, man. I was fast. I got into cycling for a while with my wife. We both bought, yeah, I'm sure, how many couples in here have not done that? You know, you, you're, you're freshly married, maybe you're a year in, man, we need to exercise, we're so fat, you know? Let's go spend $1,000 on bicycles. Who didn't do that? Really? Oh, come on. I guess we're just weird, which doesn't surprise me. But we did. <laughs> I think we'll go, we'll be maybe, we'll go like three times. Yeah. Three times. Yeah. Uh, September of 2014, I really, uh, I got into my, I guess you could say my third love now. Uh, and one of my, my, one of my few passions in life at this phase of my life, a thing back there, the bass. I went to Nisa and I said, hey, you know, you don't have a bass player, I'd like to try it out, you know, and she's like, okay, take this home with you. They had a, there's a bass that the church owns, and I came back on Thursday for the rehearsal. This is two days later. She says, okay, you think you're ready for Sunday? I'm like, no. She's like, no, you're ready. Come on, Sunday, you're in, and I haven't stopped since. Uh, absolutely love playing the bass. Makes me happy. Uh, that's why I always ask her if, if I'm going to be up here on stage. It's like, hey, please let me play bass that day. It centers me. I'm good. You know, uh, and then finally, my latest uh, endeavor in hobbies is flying uh, mini quads. You guys seen that stuff online before? I got a clip for you. I can show you what it's about. Uh, did you guys get that clip? Fantastic. I'm telling you what, there is nothing 
I've ever experienced other than the love of another person that gives me the rush that that does. Uh, so I fly FPV mini quads, FPV meaning first person view, right? I put on a headset and what you saw there is what I see, okay? I'm not, I'm not looking at it flying around, I'm in the mini quad, essentially. I mean, and it's so immersive that no joke, a lot of times, and Kristen will tell you this, if I'm going through like a, a, a particular loop or something, I'll be like this, oh, I'm flying, you know? Because it's like, and there's sometimes I'll be, I'll be diving the ground, and then, I mean, I'm, it's like my knees buckle going down, because it just, it's so immersive, and I just love it. And the thing is, though, if I'm honest with you, that hobby is at risk of dying. That hobby is at risk of no longer being fun to me anymore. You know, when I first got into the bass and I was really happy about it, Pastor Devin said to me, he said, you know what it really is, don't you? I said, what? He said, you're a part of a team that loves you and accepts you and values you. Yeah. But I'm, I'm still, I'm really all about that bass, though, too. You know? <laughs> but, but seriously, though, right? It was about that connection with that team that I was a part of, you know? Nisa has such a wonderful team. It's so good. My mini quad hobby. I have yet to find someone in our area to do this with. And I'm, like, I'm always like, hey, check this out. Put on, I have a spare set of goggles so that you can ride along with me. Maybe I can get you hooked on this so you'll do it with me, right? It only take two grand and you'll be in. We'll, we're good to go, you know? Huh? Hey there, I'll take you for a ride, dude. It'll be fun. It is so much fun. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Pushers. But no, see, the thing is, is it's, it's a blast for me, right? I enjoy it so much. But even that, as fun as it is, is at risk of dying. Because there is no connection in it for me. There is no joy of human contact. I have no one to share it with. No. Not Kristen. She's my spotter sometimes. That, that's like if, I, if I, I'm if i going really fast and I lose connection all of a sudden and it crashes, you know, from 100 foot in the air. Uh, she's like, it went down over there. <laughs> By the way, that thing goes like 80 mile an hour. It's, it's blazing fast. Uh, so anyway, even that is at risk. And so I bring it up just to say, hey, if you want to get into a hobby, hit me up. I'll show you what it's all about. I'll show you the ropes. You just need some basic soldering skills, and you're good to go. So, the point is this. You failed your resolution. You didn't stick to your hobby. You didn't stick to your habits because of this. You tried to do it alone. You tried to do it alone. You didn't have any accountability. But more importantly, you did not have anyone with you to experience it with you, okay? A couple of weeks back, I, uh, I saw an article and then a video about something, about this particular way of eating called ketogenic diet. Y'all ever heard of that before? Yeah? Uh, and again, like I am, I'm like an obsessive compulsive researcher. And so I just read, 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 read. 
And it was so fascinating to me because it was so backwards from everything I've ever been told about how to eat. So, for example, on this diet, in a normal diet, you do like 75% carbs, you know, like 15% uh, protein, and then the rest of it fat. Very little fat. Low-fat diet, they call that. Uh, in a keto diet, you're eating like 75% fat, right? And then like maybe 20% protein, and then, you know, no more than 30 grams of carbs a day, right? And I was like, this is so intriguing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experiment with it just because it sounds interesting. And I jumped in, and what was it? I think it was my first, my first day. Uh, we went on a, on a double date with Pastor Devin and Nisa, and, and then we went to the Louis G's uh, ice cream shop or whatever it was. They're like, what are you going to get? I'm like, I want a hot dog without a bun. <laughs> that's your dessert? Yep, that's it. So, yeah, I get loads of fat in a day. I get uh, moderate amounts of protein and very little carbohydrates. Uh, and, man, I have felt really great. Like, I've got so much energy. My mental clarity is just through the roof. And you know what? The effect that it actually has on you is it turns your body into a fat-burning machine, and I'm down 11 pounds in two weeks, you know? So we're going to see where that goes. Maybe I'll get down to my goal. If I get down to my goal, 175, I'm getting an all-over body tattoo to reward myself. What do you think? <laughs> He's like, no. No. Maybe... Maybe just a sleeve. You cool with that? <laughs> I got I to run it by the boss. So with this, that day when I discovered it, I shared it with a friend of mine over lunch. We went to Paisy's or Paisy's, however you say it, the, the Euro place in Fort Smith. Uh, and I was talking to him about this stuff, right? And he's like, man, that's really interesting. And so we kind of like, we... we we're really geeky and nerdy, and we're like, that's so cool, let's try it. And so we're always back and forth with each other. My friend Aaron and I, uh, we're texting, say, hey, check out this article I just read about blah, blah, blah. You know, look at what this says about, you know, this calorie breakdown for this other nutrient, and so on and so forth. And we're back and forth, back and forth, sharing our experiences with each other. We are experiencing this together. Because of that, we, excitement grows, joy grows, right? And guess what? the cult of keto is growing around us, okay? So, like, he's got his mom on board. Kristen's on board. He's got his aunt, uh, Aunt Shirley, who's diabetic. She's getting on board, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, man, that's, not, that's, that's contagious, that, that enthusiasm. But that comes from connection, right? Uh, so, again, you fail because you try to go alone. Does that make sense? So last week, Pastor Jay, awesome word, she talked about why you're here, right? And the, the, the most important thing was, was your personal relationship with God. Absolutely. I love my relationship with God, okay? As should you. But I want to go beyond that today, right? I want to talk about what we should do with that relationship, how that looks for us together, We tend to define people and define things individually over and against other individuals, right? So, you know, you might say, you know, I'm Zach, I'm five foot eight inches, 
currently 2.15. I enjoy geeking out at every opportunity given to me. There's me in a nutshell, right? That's what makes me different from you. Uh, but there's more to being human than being an individual. A great deal more. You can also think of us as interdividuals, right? We're connected. So while, yes, I am those things apart from you, I also have relationships. I'm part of a family. I'm part of a church. I'm part of a society. On and on. We are all connected with others in meaningful ways that make us who we are. These little connections that make up our lives, or big connections even, that make up our lives kind of define us, you know? I mean, what, what good is there to tell me these specifications of the individual if I have nothing to relate it to, right? We are defined by those relationships. We have this uh, funky relational entanglement of identity, In Genesis 2, uh, God made the first human, right? Called him Adam. On down the page, it says, God said, it's not good that the human is alone. It's not good that the human is alone. I mean, this is after in Genesis 1, what do you read over and over again? He did this and this and this and saw that it was good. He did this and this and this and saw that it was good. He did this and this and it was good. It was good. It was good. Chapter 2, it's not good. Catch the contrast there. It's not good. It's not good that the human is alone. The first human was incomplete before the next human was made. Think about that. The first human was not fully human until the next one came along. <laughs> you guys know that, uh, you guys know that, you know, you are saved and called to be the church, right? Not go to church. You don't go to church because the church ain't this but you be the church because the church is this, right? Us. You know that. But that's important because we are the one, not 11, one church. It is by definition plural in scope. Throughout the New Testament, the majority of the instances of the word you, Y-O-U, are plural throughout the New Testament. In other words, in Arkansas speak, you usually means y'all. You got it? When you read the Scripture, more often than not, if you assume y'all, by the way, that's not spelled correctly, if you assume y'all, in place of you individually, most of the time, you'll be right. Now, again, it's not always the case. 
just usually. It's good to go and look at the Greek. If you need help with that, holler. We'll help. It's fun. So, when we read the Bible with this lens, this community-oriented lens, uh, it has a way of enhancing and deepening our spirituality because it's no longer just focused on me. It's focused on us. You know, yes, there are personal implications, always, every single time, because you are part of the whole. But those personal implications aren't usually what's in focus. The effect of the whole is often what's in focus. When we leave the focus on the singular, and again, the singular is important, but when we leave it there and we never go on to the group view, you know, when we focus on what you personally need to do only at the expense of the community, there's really no imperative to build genuine community. There's no need, right? Each person has to do it all themselves. You know, when you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's plural. That means us. You know, if we, if we assume singular only, did you, Kelly, present your body as a living sacrifice on Monday? Tuesday? Wednesday? Right? Right. Isn't that silly? But think about, think about we, though. Are we able to, as a unit, present our bodies, present our body as a living sacrifice? In the U.S. church, we often gather not as a community, but as a collection of individuals. Do you catch the distinction there? We often gather not as a community, but a collection of individuals. The thing is, what's really taking place when you get saved, you know, when the Holy Spirit is incorporating you into a living organism that the New Testament refers to as the body of Christ, right? You are incorporated into this living organism that's called the body of Christ. I need to raise this up a little bit. Is that right here? Yeah, you know I like it tall. I know. He always makes, I do this whenever we teach classes, and he's like, dude, you're not that tall. I'm like, well, I can see, though. <laughs> Sorry. Give me some binoculars. So, living organism, body of Christ. God calls us to more than just this collective individualism. He calls us to be a genuine community that reflects his triune, his triune love that was demonstrated for us on Calvary on the cross, right? Every individual in the church is organically related to every other member of the body. The same way a foot is related to a hand, right? They're in the same body, but they're different. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, when he speaks of one body with many parts, right? We're all familiar with this passage. In verse 27, however, he concludes with this statement. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. You're a part of each other, right? 
That sounds kind of like a marriage, doesn't it? The church is not just a space containing relationships. It is not just a place where relationships just happen. The church is relation. Relation is the very fiber of the tissues of the church. We are relation. It is what we are. It's who we are. Our culture places such a a heavy emphasis on individuality. I'm unique, you know. Uh, You know, in our culture, we strive to become self-sufficient, right? Self-sufficient citizens with a job, a house, a spouse, kids, and a car, right? That's the American, that's the American dream. Cars, yes, sorry, update it. That's the American dream, right? You know, it's self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. But in the Bible, who we are individually is directly tied to who we belong to. That's why throughout the Bible, so many times you see God referring to people as peoples, right? The nation, the nation, the nation, this tribe, this village. Like, wait, don't include me in that. I didn't do that. You know, not not everybody in, in, in Sodom, uh, you know, did the dirty deeds or whatever. Which, you know, we can have a conversation about what that might actually be. But, again, everyone was punished, right? Everything the New Testament has to say about church life presupposes that Christians are living in close relationships with other Christians. Everything the New Testament teaches about Christian life. Get this, there are 59, matter of fact, Pastor Devin referenced one of them this morning in our, in our pre, pre-service huddle. There are 59 one another statements in the New Testament. 59 of them. Things like, be at peace with one another. Right? Encourage one another. Be devoted to one another. Serve one another. Love one another. Right? Every one of these assumes that Christians are sharing life together in deep, meaningful ways. You know, as Andy Stanley puts it, he says this, the primary activity of the early church was one anothering one another. Right? Does that make sense? One anothering one another. Thing is, you can't really do that here one day a week. And that's assuming you even come every day, every Sunday, you know? Yeah, Pastor Andy also said, you can't do the one another's when everyone is sitting in rows. You got to go beyond this. This kind of stuff can only happen in your daily life. But I mean, ask yourself honestly, how much of your daily life includes other people in this room right now?
No. I mean, Facebook is a great supplement, you know, but it's no substitute for the real thing. Your life in community with people in this room, this room has to go beyond what's taking place in this room. And we have to stop making excuses for not being with one another regularly. And I'm preaching to the choir here, y'all. I got, I got a request Friday night. Hey, you want to come to Cherryberry with us? I mean, I totally would anytime. But you know what? My kid just stole something from Target, and he's in a lot of trouble. You're lying, Zach. Shut up. No, I'm not. You know, it's the truth. He did. Little coin purse. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He got in a lot of trouble. He had a hard day yesterday. He wound up sobbing in his room. I'm bored. I'm lonely. That's what jail's like. (laughs) That was Kristen's idea, by the way. She's mean. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, you know, I had an excuse, right? I so seriously wanted to join, but I had a reason not to, and I, and I took it because I put precedence over punishing my child of all the things in the world over connecting with someone, and I was angry at myself about it. It's wrong. We've got to stop making excuses for not being with one another regularly. You know, Pastor Devin has said before, it's not that we don't have enough time. It's that church seems to be the one thing that we allow to be displaced. It's the one thing we're okay with getting rid of for the day or for the week or whatever it might be. Why? Because everything else is more important. But I'm telling you guys, nothing is more important to your life than the other people in this room. Now, granted, it's a low attendance Sunday because people are making excuses about being here because it's raining. <laughs> Whatever, school's starting up. I can't go to church because school in a week and a half. <laughs> right? Come on. We've got to stop making excuses. We've got to make it important. We've got to make it a priority. Getting together, being with each other in meaningful ways consistently. And the thing is, when we do this, guess what? It ain't going to be pretty. It ain't going to be pretty. But I guarantee you this, it will be beautiful. It will be beautiful. You see, pretty describes how things look, right? Beautiful describes how something is, its essence. If you're in a community, a genuine community with meaningful, deep relationships, you know, like a family, and you never encounter someone feeling misunderstood or excluded or mistreated or judged or offended, guess what? You're not doing it right. If you are around people in a real meaningful way, you're going to get pissed here and there. That's just how it works. 
families, this is true, right? In your family, you get angry, but it's okay. In a genuine community, experiencing conflict and pain are simply part of the program. The solution, of course, for this kind of pain is really simple. Keep it superficial, right? Hide your pain. Keep it pretty. Never have to worry about the pain and the struggle of having to actually connect with another human being. But the thing is, is that connection is what you were made for, right? So that connection that you're lacking, that you're hiding, that you're covering up, that you're not allowing to happen, it's not authentic. It's not healthy, and it's certainly not loving. It doesn't look like kingdom. It doesn't look like Jesus. Communities that are rooted in God's kingdom are beautiful precisely because they are willing to be ugly. Are you willing to be ugly? Are you willing to take the risk? Open yourself up. Get to know somebody for real like you do your family. When our communities are not concerned with looking pretty, it opens up the door for people to experience real life. They get to bring their real self to the door, to the table, without fear of being judged, because we're not worried about looking pretty. Hey man, I'll take you with all of your issues and all of your imperfections, Come on, sit down. Because until we can do that, we can never get over those things. You know, you with your addiction. I know the solution for addiction is connection. Come sit down. Let's talk about it. You know, that's how it works. That was God's prescription for the world all along. Hey, guys, why don't you uh, care about each other for a while? Just care. Don't be just concerned with yourself, Paul says. Consider others before yourself, Paul says. You know, when I was younger, uh, I, I fell away from the faith, uh, 12 or 13 years old. I was pushed away, really, by other Christians and uh, became pretty bitter. If you knew me back then, I was, I was a pretty angry dude. And I went through a phase of my life where, I mean, I just hated people. I mean, I really hated people. There were Christians who, when they learned that, this is when I, when I came to Alma, uh, I, was, I, was in, I was in ninth grade, and there were, there, were, there were people that learned that I was an atheist. And their response was, you're an atheist? What an idiot. <laughs> you got it. First off, great witness, bro. Keep that up. <laughs> Second, I will run circles around your dumbness. You know? Don't test me. I hate you. That was me, right? The change that's happened in me, you know, since coming to Jesus, people talk about, oh, it's so cool. He was an atheist. Now he's a believer. Whoa, now he's a, a pastor. What? That's great, all well and good. But you know what's more important to me? The connections that have been made with other people. My capacity to be with someone has gone from negative of infinity to a million. You know what I'm saying? 
Every time one of my friends walks in the room, I just smile. And I can't help it because them just being there makes me happy. That's a big change. How do you get there, though? That's a big question. How did it happen to me? Well, I mean, if I'm honest, I knew it was important to me, so I gave up everything. I left a good job. I left a home. I sold everything I had. My wife and I both did. And I came and committed myself to some people that I knew could get me there. Pastor Larry, Pastor Devin, Pastor Juliana. And I worked for a solid year, full-time, no pay, because that's what I wanted. I knew what I wanted, and I went after it. It was priority. It wasn't about the job. It wasn't about the position I might have at this church that no longer exists someday. It was because I wanted what they had, and I made that a priority in my life. But not everyone's going to do that. I understand. Not everyone is called to vocational ministry. I understand. But the point is this. When you're hurting or struggling, bring that mess to the community. Bring it here. I can't tell you how many times we have had people call or, or whatever that are going through something and they just say, hey, I just want to back out for a while. No, you don't. That is the absolute worst thing you could possibly do right now. We saw this over and over and over again with Kids at the Exchange, our outreach program that we had downtown. You know, you'd have a kid who something might, might happen at home. You know, dad went on a bender. And most of these kids came from broken homes. You know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, he didn't show up one day because whatever. We get a hold of him. Hey, make sure you come tomorrow, Okay. Because what happens is this. They're showing up every other day from every day. We were open every day after school, 3.30, until 6 or 7 o'clock sometimes. They'd show up every day, and then all of a sudden they were every other day, then every third, then once a week, right? You remember this. Once a week. Once a month all of a sudden. And then all of a sudden you didn't see them for six months. Same pattern over and over and over again because the enemy wants to isolate you from this. This is your comfort. This is your security. This is your home. This is where you will find not only your meaning and purpose in the community, but also where you will find your home, your, your love, and your comfort, and your security. You know, when you're going through something, you know, your, your, your impulse, your desire is often going to be, all right, you step back, let's evaluate the situation and then move forward. Again, don't do that. When you're having a hard time, dive head first as hard as you possibly can into the life of the community. Because that will be what saves you. Because this, this body, this church, and church in general, it is the body of Christ. We are Jesus in the world. Yeah? This is where you'll find it, right here. So again, if you're being honest, it ain't going to be pretty, but it will be beautiful. It'll look like kingdom. So I told you how I got there. I think we can all get there with a healthy dose of 
humility. And by no means do I think I have arrived, by the way. I've got a long way to go. And I think Paul in Romans 12 gives us what I think is perhaps the most challenging passage of Scripture for our time and our culture. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. It's going to be up on the screen for you. It says this, Because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Ouch. Instead, be reasonable. Ouch. Since God has measured out a portion of faith to each one of you. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't all have the same function. In the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually, we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. I mean, it makes sense. The one giving should do it with no strings attached. I don't need anything in return. The leader should lead with passion, and believe me, he does. The one showing mercy should be cheerful. Verse 9, love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil. Hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be Get this one. Be the best at showing honor to each other. There's a challenge. If you want to get competitive, be competitive about that. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the Spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Verse 16, consider everyone as equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Fail. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Fail again. Don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. Is that not challenging? I mean, that's just like a one-two punch over and over and over and over again the whole time I'm reading it. So to wrap things up today, uh, the passage that, that Pastor Juliana read for us when we started this morning was 2 Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 11 in, in uh, the Common English Bible. How many of you recognize this? Maybe not too many of you. Yeah? This is an original 1971 copy of the Living Bible. This was the granddaddy to the message that we have today. This is kind of what started that whole thing. This has since honestly, very quickly, fallen out of favor with pretty much every branch of Christianity because it takes some pretty daring liberties with the text at times. It's not something I would recommend to just read uh, anymore. 
But this is one of my prized possessions. Uh, I love this thing. And uh, this was, if you were alive in the 70s, I was not obviously uh, involved with the Jesus movement. You probably saw one of these under everyone's arm that was around. Yeah? These little green padded suckers. I'm telling you, this thing, I love this thing. But you know why I own this thing? I have this because of one passage. There is one passage in this thing that is translated in a certain way that I love so much that I, I bought one of these. I sought it out and found it just so I could be like, check this out, y'all. You know? Because at the time, it was nowhere on the internet. Like, they didn't have it on Bible Gateway. They didn't have it on Biblia or any of that kind of stuff. It was only in this, you know? I was like, I've got to get a copy of that. Uh, so I'm going to read that for you from the text today. And it's real short. But you can think of this as an outline of the Christian life and how to achieve what we've been talking about today. It's in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 2. Uh, that's the wrong Peter. Uh, it says this, Do you want more and more of God's kindness and peace? then learn to know him better and better. Hey, that makes sense. For as you know him better, he will give you, through his great power, everything you need for living a truly good life. He even shares his own glory and his own goodness with us. And by that same mighty power, he has given us all the other rich and wonderful blessings he promised. For instance, the promise to save us from the lust and rottenness all around us and to give us his own character. Verse 5, But to obtain these gifts, you need more than faith. You must also work hard to be good. And even that is not enough. For then you must learn to know God better and discover what he wants you to do. Next, learn to put aside your own desires so that you will become patient and godly, gladly letting God have his way with you. This will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them. (laughs) For you to enjoy other people and to like them. And finally, you will grow to love them deeply. The more you go on in this way, the more you will grow strong spiritually and become fruitful and useful to our Lord Jesus Christ. But anyone who fails to go after these additions to faith is blind indeed, or at least very short-sighted, and has forgotten that God delivered him from the old life of sin so that now he can live a strong, good life.